Welcome to the 180 Podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and this week uh, we have a very special guest, as always. Uh, two very special guests, because today I have a, a guest co-host, um, Henry Chow. Henry. Yeah, so my name is Henry. I am a recent graduate of Simon Fraser University, uh, majoring in English, but I took up an interest in videography in the crew. I'm currently the marketing lead for the crew and yeah, the resident videographer as well. Great. So, uh, so Henry's quite interested in videography and, and doing films and editing. So what we'd like to do here is talk about different topics, career, professional, personal, uh, with young people. And I thought it'd be a good idea to bring one of our alumni from years past, uh, over 10 years, not to age us there, Steve, um, Steve Tan again. So Steve was a member of our group, uh, for a little bit, had a cup of coffee, more like an espresso, I think. Um, and he spent his uh, most of his career in film, filming and videography, editing. Uh, he also did uh, my wedding uh, last summer, which is really great. And it was a great chance for me and Steve uh, and his partner to connect. So we thought we'd have him on the show, give us a bit of a, a reintroduction to um, our group uh, and also provide the fine audience that we have uh, some tips and tricks of, of the trade in freelance and videography. Uh, filmmaking, making YouTube ads, maybe because that's something we've been uh, we've been looking into in our group. So, welcome Steve Tan to the show. Woo. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> it's quite the intro. You never, you didn't tell me that we'd I'd have to age myself to be on the show. It's part of the game, man. It's part of the game. <laughs> it's nice to be here. All right. Well, so, what uh, are we talking yeah. about? Uh, we're talking about you. So, why don't you give uh, the fine people an uh, introduction, just maybe a little bit about yourself, about your career kind of what it does it take to be whatever you call yourself actually I don't, I don't know what your title your official title uh actually is man I'm not checked your linkedin i know i'm very poor yeah. uh researcher here you know the thing is like when you're a freelancer you have to do everything right that's one of the the hard lessons that you learn when you you know, when you tell your employer that I'm done working for you, you know, I'm, I'm going to work for myself now. And, you know, I never need to do, you know, all of the things I don't like to do. I just want to do the things that I want to do. You know, I just want to film cool things all the time. And then you realize that, you no, know, most of the time you're, you're writing contracts or like paying taxes or I don't know, marketing or, you know, networking. And, you know, you kind of have to love what it is you do enough to put up with all those other things that you need to do in order just to do the thing you want to do, you know? But yeah, yeah you can call me a videographer, photographer, editor. <laughs> Maybe just kind of tell us like from the beginning, like who you are and how'd you get into the field that you're in now? Yeah, well, it it all started as like an accident, really. Um, when was it? Like 2008. Um was kind of the the time when I started taking my own videos and editing them seriously, I guess, or not seriously, like consistently, you know, um, it was right around the time uh, the MacBooks went Intel and, you know, me being a PC guy all my life decided to try the Macs. And uh, there was this app called iMovie and it just made editing videos a lot more intuitive. Like before that app came along, it was, I think it was like Windows Movie Maker or something. And you, you could try to make something that looks good, but you know, it just wasn't, it always looked like home, home video. Right. And I think in iMovie it was the first time I was editing stuff and I was like, oh, this looks like half decent. And uh, it ended up being just like this thing I like doing, right. I would shoot videos on the weekend and edit them throughout the week after work in the evenings. And it got to a point where, you know, um, my employer at the time kind of saw what I was posting and sharing on Facebook and said, hey, do you want to help us with some videos at work? And I said, of course, you know, uh, unfortunately, I have like back then um, cell phone cameras and whatever were terrible. And so and so were a lot of the gear. And but the luckily my employer was very supportive and, you know, they bought a office camera that basically I could use at any time and um, supported like um, coursework as well. Like I took some courses and they're like, if you finish the course, you can submit the thing and we'll, you know, reimburse. It was, it was a great, uh, great place to be. And, you know, I was really interested in it. So I, you know, made a lot of mistakes real quick and learned really quick. And uh, yeah, fast forward a few years, um, I ended up doing more work 
on weekends and evenings than my actual nine to five. And uh, so I just, uh, you know, let them know. Um, oh no, it was, it was when I had my first kid, when I had Mason right around 2011. So about three years into this new hobby of mine, um, I took some parental leave and I decided not to go back. Mm. Yeah. So was there another career path that you were looking at doing before you kind of fell into this video editing and filmography gig? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of um, soul searching at the time. So I was primed to be ready for anything. Like when I, when I finished high school, um, I was really into like video games, video game design, or like desktop design. I, I did the, the, the school yearbook course. Um, not the course. Well, I guess like it's like there's a class at my high school where um, it's like a multi-grade class and you get together and it's practical, right? Like you learn uh, photography, desktop publishing, but also like business side of things like um, getting ads and sponsorships. And there's a bit of journalism as well. And you basically, this class puts together the yearbook, right? So I did this class for three years in a row. So, you know, I had a bit of that, like the Photoshop, the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, InDesign, um, the illustrator and also, you know, like the, the asking for sponsorships and putting together like sponsorship packages and stuff like that. And I always thought I'd do something that was graphics related, but, um, but because I wasn't super sure about what it is I wanted to do. Um, and my parents really pressured me to go to university. I kind of ended up going to university, but without a, you know, without a clear goal. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, your parents just want what's best for you. And in their mind, you know, I would be the most valuable to society with a degree, right? I think I'm paraphrasing, but basically they said, get a degree, any degree, and then do what you want, right? I, whereas I'm like, I want to go to art school. <laughs> Anyways, the university thing didn't work out. Uh, I was in, I was at UBC for four or five years. And then, um, you know, kind of just racking up student debt without really going anywhere. So I took, I, I actually took a break from that and, you know, took a, a marketing assistant and marketing coordinator job at a not-for-profit. And that's where I had the, the chance to kind of, you know, um, put out newsletters and write press releases and also do the photography and do the video as well. This is way too uncanny. <laughs> Henry's smiling right now. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm in a similar boat, I guess. Went into university, but like I originally had a direction, but kind of lost that direction along the way. Um, and then now I'm trying to get into like a sort of marketing coordinator job as well. Sort of like you, um, yeah, social media coordinator, that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, very, very uncanny. What a coincidence. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, you know, you think that, that, like I remember in high school when it seems so obvious to just, you know, just keep going, right? And you know, in high school, like elementary school, high school, it's easy because the choices are very limited. Um, you know, that's a whole other problem. But anyway, the choices are very limited and it's very clear what direction. It's only one direction basically. Um, and you know, when people like took gap years, you're like, oh, what a waste of time, you know? Like they're they're not doing schooling. They're just, I don't know, bumming around, right? But once you finish um, secondary education, um, when, you know, once you finish high school, it's like there are so many different ways you can go. And you know, if your job is to be, if your goal is to become like a professor, yeah, go to university, right? Do the things. But um, in my case, where I wasn't like really sure, you know, like kind of charging into university, or at least being told to do that, you know, wasn't. In my in hindsight, it wasn't the best way to go. It's not for everyone. I'm not I'm not saying post secondary is not great. I'm just saying it might, it's not for everyone. Wait, so what have you had done if you hadn't gone to university, just straight into like searching for different um, jobs that you might do, or like developing into videography? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I like I said at the time, um, like a lot of my peers at the time, we were like really into video games, and I was like, I I had a bit of programming background as well, just. Um, not through schooling, but through just as a hobby on the side. Um, you know, I knew a bit of programming. And I was like, oh, it'd be great if I could, you know, make games, right? And I knew nothing about it, but I would be, I was interested enough that I wanted to try, but not, but I wasn't like as sure and strong about it that I like fought against what my parents wanted me to do 
you know, after grade 12. So I could have ended up doing something totally different if my parents been like, no, it's fine. You do whatever you want. Oh, cool. All right. When do you make your first video then? Oh, geez. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like, I feel like I've always been making videos, but um, like I said, it's just the tools I had at the time were not inspiring. Right. I, I remember this is like, even in high school, when we went snowboarding with class trips, we'd had, you know, these weird shape, they look like, they look like a, like an old school iPod, but shoots video. Right. So it almost looked like a, it almost looked like a phone nowadays, uh, come to think of it, uh, but only shoots video and um, had weird names and stuff and quality wasn't any good, but it was convenient. You can put it in your pocket. Right. And, and, and we'd edit them and it's like, ah, okay. The only reason why we watch them and we care is because we're in it, but really, you know, star wipes and it's just, it's no good. All right. No one's going to watch it. Do and remember, it's like, do you remember your, sorry. Do you remember your first paid video that you made? Like maybe one that you really like, Hey, this is going to go to a client for the first time and they're actually going to pay us money to do star the, wipes. The, <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't doing Star Wars by then. My first paid one was actually a, it wasn't like a paid one that I'd asked for money. It, a good friend of mine um, was a bridesmaid in a wedding and she basically convinced her friend, she's like, you need to hire my friend, Steve. He's like, he, she's like, he's the best wedding videographer. And she's like, hey, you can do weddings, right? <laughs> you got to run before oh you God. walk. That's how yeah. And I still have that video somewhere on Vimeo. And I look at it, I'm like, it's actually not super terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible, but not like super terrible. Was this still with iMovie or um, different programs? I, it was absolutely iMovie. And if you oh, know what, okay. if I didn't have iMovie, I would not have agreed. Oh. Yeah. So this is back in 2008, maybe nine, but yeah. So do you feel like... Um... At that, for that in that juncture and made this a bit more technical like i always i'm always curious about like the editing part and the filming part you know do you feel like because you had a stronger sense of capturing the raw data that you were able to make something out of it or do you feel like because we had the technology to just cut pictures or whatever in and out that it, it made it for a lot better production or or easier production for that first uh first video yeah you know it's always it's hard to say because i feel like while the while the while iMovie was a big step from Windows Movie Maker or whatever I was using before, the whole time I was using the less than ideal situation, like like the lesser cameras, the lesser software, I can't say that they were absolutely you know of no value, right? I, it, it's like every single mistake you make, even though you don't, you know, invent the light bulb, it's like you found another way not to, and you've learned from it, right? So. I, I would be, I would still have to like mention that, you know, or at least acknowledge that it played a role in where, you know, I went, but there are certain times where, you know, you kind of once in a while, when you're ready for it, you like, kind of like jump ahead instead of stepping ahead. Right. And I feel like um, having the editing tool that fits the way that I think and the way that I work really helped give me a big like leap forward. Yeah. Same with uh, video cameras, right around that time, uh, 2009, 2010 was the time when uh, DSLR started shooting video for the first time. Um, and prior to that, it was hard to um, use relatively affordable video cameras to get the look that were, you know, kind of like mm -hmm. the Hollywood look, right? And right around that time, Canon, Nikon D90 and Canon 5D Mark II accidentally added video to their camera. Like, they weren't even, like it was such an afterthought of a feature, but it, it, it was also one of those like big leap forwards where, where people like me can spend, you know, um, what was it like $3,000 on a camera and get like a Hollywood look without spending, you know, five digits getting a, you know, proper Hollywood camera set up. Yeah. I mean, that's when we started getting HD, you know, cameras on our phone, right? Oh yeah. So oh yeah. Your, your DSLR couldn't shoot like, you know, 1080p if your phone you know, for, we, you know, half the price, maybe more, more way more than half the price. Cause it was yeah. like a couple hundred bucks back then for a, a decent iPhone, like 600 yeah. bucks when I say a couple hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like video is becoming more prevalent and also like big sensor video cameras where, you know, people can actually afford them. Yeah. 
so yeah, so the right tools can can help. And and you know, I was also in that stage where I was just I was ready for it. You know, I, I was in the right time, right place, and I was ready to take advantage of those. Like they they could have come along, and if I wasn't as interested or if I wasn't as um, aware, it could just totally pass me by, right? So I was just happened to be really into it at the time when it became available. So after you did the one wedding video, of course, you've done many more since. What's your portfolio been like in the last 10 years? I mean, you've been mostly freelancing or you've been working for, like, I guess MEC is one of the corporate companies you kind of went back into. Yeah, kind of what yeah. Your, what does your portfolio look, look like in the last couple of years? Well, I, um, I still love shooting weddings. There's something about weddings where it's like, it's well, actually in general, I like, I like shooting with people, um, especially if they have stories. Uh, I love being outdoors. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap there with weddings and plus weddings is such a fun time and such a big, huge milestone for, you know, the, like people and their families. And I actually come from a small, but pretty tight family. So it seems like I have a big family. So I'm used to like lots of family gatherings and, um, I, I just love the dynamic of having multi-generational, you know, gatherings. Um, so I still do weddings. Um, but luckily I also have like some corporate stuff, some real estate stuff, which has been really helpful, uh, through COVID since, you know, mm. weddings has been, uh, put on the back burner for a lot of it. Do you have any, uh, pet projects that you do by yourself? Like just passion projects? I do. Um, I try to, you know, I don't, I don't know if I actually have like a, a, like a, a formal criteria for um, which projects that I do for like, you know, it's just sometimes I just get a feeling like there's this athlete, um, her name is Judith Cassiama. Um, I can send you guys like a Instagram link or something. Follow, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she is advocating for um, just more diversity and more inclusion in the outdoors. And that's mm -hmm. you know, a cause that I truly believe in as well. So I support her in a lot of different ways uh, whenever I can. And, um, you know, it's been mutually beneficial for us because not only do I get to help cover some of their events and help them uh, kind of um, uh, increase their reach in a way, like kind of give them, help them create content so that she could, you know, let people know of all these cool things that she's doing. But also it's given me a lot of opportunities as well, you know, like. I would consider myself in, in some of those activities, like a, someone who's like new and intimidated by it, but because of her programs, I was able to try things like ice climbing, you know, which mm -hmm. is something that I don't think I would have gone and done. Right. But by joining and filming their events, I've been able to do some of that, like canyoning as well. Um, I think we're going to do like this big sailing trip uh, later on in May. Um, yeah. So things like that, where, you know, sometimes I just get the right feeling for it. I'll just do that. Um, quite a few years ago, um, there was this uh, event called Hell Portrait, uh, and it happens around the holidays, and they were donating their time and their resources to, like, take photographs of people in need, and just, you know, creating, like, a memory for them, right, C uh, printing a, uh, a, a card or a photo on the spot so they can send it to their loved ones, right, um, and so that was a nice thing as well that I helped with. Um, yeah, so I don't know if it's a formal thing. Sometimes I just get a feeling. I'm like, you know what? I have, I believe in it. I have some time. I can, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I can give back. And sometimes I just do. Cool. Yeah. It's like, it's mostly covering other events. Do you have like any, like really experimental videos, I guess? Like where you try to branch out and like try to use different effects or like just mess around in After Effects or something? Like, yeah, you know, After after Effects is definitely one of those like frontiers where uh, I'd love to get more into, but I haven't had the time to quite dive yeah. in. Yeah. It's been a lot of ad hoc where I know it can do literally everything. So mm. it's kind of like project by project where someone will say, hey, um, you know, I need to do this. And I'm like, I know I can do it. And let me just find out how. Yeah, you learn how to. Yeah, exactly. Can really yeah. learn everything from After Effects just in like one oh, session I or something. Oh, for sure. Um, not too long ago, one of my close to one of my last projects at MEC, I had a, um, a pretty famous, like locally famous trail runner. Um, uh, the idea was that he was racing himself and we actually had a shot where he was like running past him and we had to like uh, basically create a mat to separate out the two different yeah. layers of him running past. And that was such a fun thing to do where I had to look it up and then realizing that, you know, it actually, some of these, um, some of these tasks actually take a lot of time and work. It's like, sometimes it's like this 
you know, magic button where you click. And sometimes it's literally just painstakingly frame by frame. Yeah, manual, <laughs> yeah. like tracing or like yeah. whatever, keyframing it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's just like, that's just the way it is, right? And, you know, that's why sometimes, you know, you see in those end credits of Hollywood movies and there's like just teams of people. It's because it, it you know, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, but then it's just of- you for freelancing. <laughs> yeah. Wait, does that ever bother you though? Like not having such a big team to do these videos? Uh, you know, I like kind of being uh, in the light mobile team. Um, I've been in situations where it just, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to say it's sometimes nice too. I've also um, shot for, uh, I shot a reality series with a, a good friend of mine and I was on the secondary camera and I had people running batteries and memory cards to me and, and checking in to make sure I had water and food. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't have to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are literally shoots where I've done end to end, where I've storyboarded with a client, shot it, did all the like, or did all the logistics with the permits and the, you know, the model releases and location releases and you know all the editing, coloring, sound production, and you know towards the end, right? Um, and I say like each has got their like pros and cons, and I do love working with people, so you know it is nice to have. Um, kind of someone on your team as well which is why it's great Paul as you know um, Meg who is basically my partner in everything right mm-hmm. um, it's so great to have her there as like a second eye a second like you know opinion to ha- to bounce ideas off of um, yeah just you know just to have uh, there on your team if you, if you were starting out so so if you're starting out again let's say I mean because you mentioned a lot of different things right you mentioned a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different uh, support functions that are helpful but if you were to say start over again or, or you're advising someone like like a Henry on you know mm-hmm. hey you want to get into doing this what are what do you think are the most important things you need to know how to do you know right off the bat if I should you invest in equipment first should you invest in training first should you just start taking your camera phone out like what would you say is the best way to get started these days yeah uh, I think that's a great question and I think for me um, getting out there getting your name out there um, like meeting people who are in the industry I know that for me a lot of the time um, a lot of these like breakout uh, opportunities were just through meeting new people through you know different opportunities right um uh, I recently did a, actually, I don't know if I can say I did it. Um, I recently, I did a, a, a stock shoot uh, with a, a pretty big like national brand. And it was all because I was working with this um, organization over time. And it was like, you know, a, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big, uh, it wasn't like a big money thing. It was more like, I believed in their cause and I just supported them. And, you know, I was, you know, happy with the kind of work I was producing for them. And I was happy that I was able to contribute. And it just so happened that they worked with a national partner and it was like, now I did this big shoot for them. Right. Um, And which is something I don't think that I would have been able to do had I not known or worked through this organization. Right. So um, a lot of the time, I think just getting out there and meeting people and just um, shooting lots, shoot as much as you can, edit as much as you can, make as much make as many mistakes as you can so that you can learn from it. Um, but also like, you know, kind of post your work and also look at other people's work and comment on it and like, kind of like give back to the community, right? Give back by creating content, sharing content, uh, commenting on other people's com- uh, content. And then, you know, soon you'll create like a little, I don't know, like a, like a group where, you know, people will know you and can refer you and, um, you know, you can learn from these people, they can learn from you, hopefully you'll, you know, have like experience in share. I think that's, that's been really helpful in my career. Like it's never been about the gear, right? Um, it's always been like, whatever gear you can afford, use it, right? If you, if you need it, rent it, right? If you don't, if you don't have it or you can't afford it, ask, ask around, right? Ask your friends, ask your, this is also the other part too, where you create industry friends, right? Like I have quite a few friends who are, you know, uh, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, take their gear for free, even if they offered it, like I would still give them money, but, you know, create those relationships where you can rely on other people and count on other people and ask them. So, yeah. You said practice, right? But how did you really get in those hours for shooting and like practicing videography at the beginning? Um, Was it just like covering events or like stuff that you did throughout the year or? 
Yeah, yeah. I um, when I first started, this is back when I was working for the small not for profit, and uh, the the executive director basically. Uh, like I said, they bought an office camera, but I was the only one who used it. And he said, you know what, feel free to take it out anytime. Uh, if you break it, you buy it. But, you know, basically it was very generous. And so on the weekends, I would just take it out and shoot anything and everything that I can think of. Right. Um, I had a friend who played, um, what was that? The traditional Chinese instrument where you pluck the strings. Uh, what I don't remember that? the name. It was like Pei Karina's mom plays it. And I don't remember yeah. what the name right? Oh, is that what okay, it's called? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I had a friend who played that. I'm like, hey, can I just like create a mini like video about you doing? She's like, sure. And I did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like uh, I had a friend who like played dodgeball. And I'm like, hey, can I create a video of you playing dodgeball? She's like, sure. And, you know, I just, you know, anything and everything, right? And at the time, I, it was all just, it was fun, right? I wanted to do it. And um yeah, it, it was uh, a big learning experience, but also practical. And I feel invested because it's like, I've got a client, you know, even if it was like, you know, I wasn't like hired to do it, so to speak. I, you know, to wanted to produce results for them, for them to show, like show a cool video that they could see basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically just to like give yourself projects. I don't know if you ever tried vlogging and I and I did this recently where I'm like well I've got clients who are looking to start YouTube channels and I'm helping them with that and creating content it's like they feel like silly being on camera I'm like well I gotta you know I gotta show them how it's done and and so when you first do something you know and it's different it's like yeah this feels kind of silly but over time you get used to it and then not only do you get used to you get like better at it you know yeah so you just have to that's what I mean by shooting lots it's like make make up excuses to go out and shoot like for me recently one of the things that i'm totally into since like october of last year was mountain biking and i make up excuses to be on my bike like oh i need to go get some groceries and i'll like i'll grab my bike and do it with a, with a backpack or something instead of you know like properly and i'll, I'll make like Driving, two trips yeah. yeah i'll make two trips because my backpack's too small <laughs> so becoming like a professional videographers is really a gradual thing it's not like an instant like okay I decided to become a videographer it's more like I'm doing this on the side as a hobby and like since I've gotten good at it I do side jobs and then even more people are connected to me and they give me these jobs so it becomes like a snowball I guess in that sense and how to become a videographer yeah my my that was my my journey it was uh it was a hobby that I just really liked doing um and then eventually uh I ended up working in my hobby more than my day job. And then, um, like I said, right around that time, uh, my first son was born and I took some parental leave and it kind of gave me a chance to just do my hobby. Um, and I was like, oh, I think I can, I think I can do this. And I did for a couple of years. And then I had my second kid and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, well, that's more of a, that's more of like a, a life, life management time management organization thing where uh, at the time you know um, I felt like when I was freelancing I was missing out on like family life and when I was with the kids and doing family life I felt like I should be working yeah and so that's when I start that's when um, I started at MEC and I was like you know what I need to kind of reset everything kind of have work from like you know nine to five eight to four or something and then leave work at work and it really it really did help at the time um, you know, when they were younger and I, and it gave me the option to really be present, you know? Yeah. yeah. Time management, definitely very important. Yeah. Uh, are, are there people in the industry that are more like filming all the time and then there's editors or are they more editors? Um, like what's the mix? Like, is, is it always kind of everyone knows how to do everything or like, you know, have, you're going to be a, like a kick-ass editor you know, you better be up there and like have people throw work at you because I mean, if you could do it yourself, you wouldn't outsource it. Right. Um, right. What's that mix? And there's storyboarding. I think I find I have lots of ideas for storyboards, but without a good storyboard, you can't really like get out of bed to go film it. Right. 
right right uh i don't i think it totally depends on like which circles you run in like for me um because i'm more of like the almost like solo or really really small team uh we kind of have to be good at everything right but mm -hmm. i do have friends who are you know like in the union and stuff where they're just like a kick-ass dp or they're a kick-ass camera operator and they know like equally amazing you know uh, drone pilots who that's all they do or colorists and all they do is color or sound recorders and stuff so it really depends and I think there's um, there's room for everyone you know uh, in bigger budgets where the workload is really high and there's not it's not possible for one person to do it all even if they're that great you know and and there's also like you know room for uh, people like me where we're more involved in the project in you know from from like every standpoint and you know it's also like it depends on the project itself as well. Like not every project has a budget to have a team of, you know, a dozen or more, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Where do you see yourself taking, I guess, your portfolio? Do you think it's going to be more of the same? Do you think you're going to lean to one story, more of the storytelling directing, more of the the editing, more of the filming? Is there anything you thought about that in terms of your, your mix? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> Uh, That's the, the problem type of questions is, you get here at the 180 yeah, podcast brought yeah, to you by yeah. no one. Yeah, tough question. Um, it's hard to say because for me, I feel like the thing I love about my job is the fact that I get to do all of it, right? I get to mm -hmm. do the, you know, talk to the clients about their ideas, like workshop ideas with them, uh, help them figure out what it is that they truly want out of a video. Like why even make a video in the first place, right? Um, to storyboarding and getting the logistics done and uh, of course, being on the ground and shooting it, um, you know, especially if these are in like remote places, um, you know, uh, and editing is also part of it too. This is why, you know, you often don't hear about people just giving out raw photos or raw videos because the editing also plays a huge part of it, right? So it's hard for me to pick out one part. I think it's easy for me to say that, you know, I don't want to do one thing forever. Yeah, I don't want to do just okay. one thing. Yeah, I think part of the reason why my shooting is at the level that it is today is because I edit. And part of the reason my editing is at the level that it is today is because I shoot, right? It's, they go hand in hand. And, you know, someone who only shoots misses out on an opportunity to see where their footage has failed or see failed, or they miss out on the opportunity to see where they can grow, right? Like when you edit what you shoot, you have a very intimate relationship with that and you can pick out things that you're like, oh, you know what? I have this tendency to, um, I don't know, like hold my camera tilted one degree to the left a little bit, right? All my horizons are a bit off. Got no one else to blame but yourself because you also shot it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Speaking of which, if you were working at a team with different people editing or like storyboarding or filming, how do you communicate that? You have a storyboard. Usually like when I do a video, I have everything in my head and I just shoot the way I want to shoot and edit the way I want to edit. Right? But in that like super detail, you want this video to become exactly what you want it to be from the storyboard. How do you communicate that to another team member? Well, you got a director, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> either you have a director or you are the director. And, you know, the director usually works with the DP, the director of photography, who is like the primary camera person. Um, and you guys, you know, you shoot it, you review it, you go over it, right? Um, you guys would talk about it. When I worked at MEC, there was this other guy, there's a team of uh, two, me and Lawrence. And, you know, he was kind of like the director and the DP, and I would be like the cam up. And, you know, he would we would talk about it, like, what's his vision? Like, he's like, oh, I want to get um, this mountain biker. I want him to like pop through here and to follow him through the shot. And then, you know, I'd be like, okay, so this is what you want. And we do it and he'd review and was like, oh, great, you got it. Or like, oh, you know what? Let's go and punch in about 20% tighter and uh, let's try it like this way, right? And obviously that's like that type of shooting, right? If we're shooting a live event, you don't really have that option as much. Yeah. It'd be more like uh, we're going for the tone of, promoting this event we want to keep it lighthearted. we want to keep it fun bouncy and kind of entice people to come and so you you know you then you kind of take that and you're like okay you're gonna shoot in a certain way in a certain pace to achieve those goals right but um i mean just like any project it's all about communication right yeah. not just video talking in a lot of trial and error i guess yeah yeah and hopefully you know uh the more you say the less trial and error <laughs> yeah that's fair um also had another really important question. Um, when you decide to take your hobby on as like a professional career, 
did that diminish any of your passion for that original hobby? Like video example, it, did it diminish your passion for like making videos since it became your job? Um, hmm. Probably. Like, there were definitely. See, that's so matter of factly. <laughs> but like, it's not. I guess it's not as significant amount then. It yeah. is like huh, well, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of a way to properly capture that feeling where like there's a lot more pressure to, you know, like because uh, up until that point, I'd always been like an employee. I've always had like a steady paycheck, right? So making that jump was a big um, was a big change for me, and the pressure of always like you know booking enough, right? Um, you know, you get to a point where you, you would always have that in the back of your mind somewhere, and sometimes it's louder than others. Right. It didn't it didn't stop like me wanting to do what it is. I, you know, I, I still wanted to shoot. I want to edit. I want to create these videos. Um, but I think there are times when when just. The pressure gets so high that you have to like you have to figure it out. Right. You have to like, OK, all right. Uh, I guess we'll have to dip into savings this month or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Or sometimes you have to take on um, uh, take on projects that, you know, that you wouldn't be your top choice, but then you keep that in mind. You're, okay, uh, this month I have to take that on, right? Um, how are we going to learn from that? That kind of thing. Um, so I think that's, and also because it was just like a new sensation of not the uncertainty, right? And and now you know there's uncertainty still there. It's just I'm used to it now, and it's not as crazy. But uh, I think in terms of like the actual like shooting and editing and stuff, it's it's still all good. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to say about diminish your passion. I think there's, you know, I think we all have a lot of priorities in life, right? You think about, you know, your father very young, right? Fair to say, Steve, right? So, you know, if you, if you didn't, maybe those harder calls are, are less hard because, you know, it's just you or, you know, it's your family, right? That's how I don't have any kids. So I still feel like, you know, there's other things holding me back from maybe starting my own business or doing something like that. But I think if I were to do it, even if I did something I was passionate about, it's still a learning experience. And there's no way you would be where you are if you decide to hold a part-time job and try to do what you, you know, what you were doing on the weekends, right? I think, you know, sometimes just based on your priorities and based on what's important to you, you know, your passions, I think they are fluid almost, right? They're fluid, like even with scouting and volunteering and even this podcast itself, right? It's very fluid. Um but when, when you're doing it, like we are today, or when we're um, finding that right client or that right opportunity, I, I think it reminds you why you were interested in that thing in the first place. But obviously life, as it does, gets in the way. So I think it's, when I hear people talk about diminishing passions, then like, like falling out of love of something, like, you know, maybe you were, you know, I feel like there's always a reason that's kind of beyond that thing. It's not just that thing that made you, you know, like that you're working on it now. It's always some other factor. Um, now that we get to the philosophical uh, section of the, the chat, um, it's, always, it's always something, right? Like there's always things that are going on. And um, yeah, because if you had no responsibilities and you're just doing it and you had like a million dollars in the bank account, right? Then your hobby is your job. It's it's a lot easier when you know, to look at like, what, you know, how am I going to have food on the table next next month, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if funny. anything, you can say that it, it almost made it stronger because it's like, I'm willing to do all this other stuff just to do what I like doing. Right. I'm willing to put up with all that risk, put up with all that stress. I'm willing to put up with all these other admin jobs that I have to do just so that I can, you know, produce these for a living. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot of grit to, you know, I think there's other things that you learn in that process to, I guess you appreciate, um, you know, that choice. I mean, I, I, I kind of relate it to like us volunteering, right? Like, you know, there are days where I don't want to get up and go to a meeting and Henry has been in our group for seven years now plus, right? So he's a long, long time contributor. Um, and yeah, like, I think there's always ups and downs, but uh, then, you know, you see good, great things like Henry just getting a job uh, last week. I was telling Steve when you were off, right? Like, hey, Henry, you got a great job and uh, it's kind of doing fun things that uh, you were doing. And, you know, funny enough, it's kind of the, the similar path Steve's leading and uh, maybe you get opportunities like he did. So 
instead of newsletter newsletters on paper, it's you know it's a social media newsletter. So um, you never know. All right, I'm going to say switching gears now. Sure, uh, just yeah. have a blank. So Henry, if you got anything, we make it. We just stay yeah, like I guess one other one would be like, what are the two most important qualities a videographer has to have, in your opinion? Um, oh, that's a good question. I feel like maybe not just a videography, but as a person, I feel like being humble is uh, is a good place to start. Um, just being ready to learn, being in a place where you're open-minded to just about anything, right? Um, there's a lot of things that um, I've, I've taken on a lot of gigs. That I'm like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm ready to learn and I'm really ready to do whatever it takes to learn, you know? Um, and also just like taking feedback and criticism well. Um, that's, that's something that I've, I've been told back when I was at MEC that I was just always like really good at taking feedback and criticism like I've always been very open to it and and I find that like why you know why wouldn't you someone's trying to help you out like provided that it's actually feedback and not someone just shitting on my work but you know but if they are and and they're providing some kind of like learning opportunity you know it's like it's the learning opportunity is like right there you just have to be in a mindset to be able to benefit from it yeah you learn anyways if it's actually constructive yeah on your work <laughs> yeah i totally believe that and it's um and you know as a as a parent um that's actually one of the things one of the main things i try to instill in my kids is just being more humble right just you know if they do something wrong instead of like jumping to a defensive position just being like i didn't do it or it wasn't me or this person did it too right it's like no you know there's a learning opportunity here and if you approach it the right way you can benefit from every single time you make a mistake you know uh yeah so that's one i i also feel like just being like a respectful person so in this industry there's a lot of people who you know you work with a lot of people um whether even if it's like you know you're working on your solo you know by yourself you're still having to you know talk to clients and you know still having to deal with talent and actors and um or if you're working on teams and stuff this is a um it's it's very like because it's service-based right it's like you gotta people work with you, not just of your skill, but because of the type of person you are, right? So mm -hmm. if you're respectful, then, you know, you get called the, back, right? Yeah, the next, on the next yeah. job, you get called back. And uh, if you, if you, you know, uh, make mistakes and you own up to it and you're humble about it and you're respectful, I find that most people are like pretty chill about things like that, you know, um, because you're definitely gonna make mistakes, right? Everyone makes mistakes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just basically be chill. Be, be chill, dude. Be, be a good person, and you'll be a yeah. halfway decent videographer, right? That's a that's a <laughs> bad, bad simpler answer. than I thought. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. See. I, I was gonna say, like, if you like, because sometimes you know you have your good days and your bad days and stuff, and you you you'll automatically kind of weed yourself out if you're not cut out for it, right? And if you are cut out for it, you are going to you know do the hard things right but if you're humble and you're respectful you know you can do anything you want i, I got a story that involves us i guess i guess when steve consulted karina and i for our wedding video uh we had some fun chats i remember you know getting getting going and you know it was during covid and we didn't know where the location was we didn't know what was going to happen and um you know yeah you guys were very open and honest um you know we know you obviously by reputation and stuff that you've done um but I remember uh, I told you guys I told you guys what was important to us, and I said to you, really want to make sure the audio is good, and that's something we haven't talked about in this whole time about making. Things we didn't audio. even do a sound check. <laughs> we didn't even do yeah the sound check, and then yeah the faucet going right. Yeah. Um, and I said to Steve, you know, like like maybe it's because I saw someone else's wedding video and the audio was pretty bad, and then there was these like speeches and people were crying and like as the as a person watching. It just didn't make sense. And I had been, uh, I did another project uh, for school, um, you know, kind of graduate school. And I was watching these videos about how to make a good kind of film. And then they say 
that you know you have to have good audio because it can be a crummy video sometimes but if the audio is crisp people will still pay attention but the reverse it won't happen so i think steve i refer this to you and i told you and i remember when uh, i was doing my vows steve recorded our vows beforehand and after so in case he missed it, in case we couldn't get a live feed you know you had that second version that's i know that's tip. part of your process but you know it was something that i mentioned to you that was really important to me and then you kind of like took the took the feedback you know consulted the way you did um and then you worked really well with the, the dj and the you know the guy that was there so like just from that like two piece of advice i know steve you're kind of saying it sounds very generic and like life but when i watched your work and your process it definitely highlighted to me uh, because we also had another group doing the photos as well so steve was there doing the video but we had another group doing the photos as part of our package we had another guy doing audio and uh we had another scouter doing um, the live stream as well. So going back to what Steve said about being respectful, being humble and like trying to learn, we had all these pieces together. They didn't have a pre-production meeting. They all met each other like two hours before it was supposed to go. And, you know, the DJ got your sound set up. Uh, you and the photographer kind of made sure you guys were in each other's shots. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, it's still humans working with each other, it's still humans supporting each other as sappy as that sounds, but, you know, I wanted really good audio and I kind of wanted, I don't know what else I actually wanted. I don't know what Karina said, but, um, you know, capture people like faces and, and, and our family. Right. So, um, you did a great job. I think, you know, we loved it. So, um, I think those tenants are under, maybe underrated Henry, maybe you're, you're, you might be overthinking all the technical overthinking. Like you have to be, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. I don't know, just naming some of the like one actor or one director that right. You need to be Jonathan or not Jonathan Nolan, that's his brother. Christopher Nolan, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. I've just been watching his his films. Um uh the symmetry, the symbolism, right? Like you might think you have to be that, but you know what? I told Steve I want to make sure people hear what I'm saying and uh they can see some of my relatives' faces, right? And he took that to heart as the most important thing and he executed, you know, great. So that's a testimonial to to what you're saying there steve like it's a technical the technical thing was like it stems mostly from me not actually having taken classes on videography at all like editing was all just me on youtube looking at random tutorials and like there's no after effects um classes that i took nothing at all so that that would be one worry that's kind of why i asked the qualities because like do you need to have that much experience in like going to BCIT and taking a class in order to actually get into professional filming and like making money off of it or not? Um, I mean, I don't think it would hurt um, to take some coursework, but I feel like coursework doesn't have to be in a classroom these days. I've seen some really good courses on, on things like Skillshare uh, where you can take online on your own time. Uh, I actually did my drone certificate course online on my own time and uh, I'm a certified drone pilot now. It's uh, the way people learn these days is there's so much flexibility that you don't have to do it in a traditional setting. Mm-hmm. Great, because it's a lot more flexible. Um, but yeah, I, I and, and that's not to say I don't want to learn. Like when, when, when I left university, my parents were like, oh my God, you don't want to learn. It's like, it's the opposite, right? Like I want to learn so many things that I can't waste my time at this place where I'm not learning the things that I want to learn, right? Um, you know, I think it's great to constantly be learning because this is, you know, things are ever changing, right? So even if you know everything today, you know, you have to keep learning to stay on top of it. Um, which is why I think it's also great to get out there and start shooting because then instead of just learning things that are uh, theoretical or that, you know, it's just kind of nice to have, you actually put it into practice yeah, right away, right? Apply it. Yeah. yeah, and if you like run into a, an issue while you're shooting, perfect, because then that's a, a, a perfect opportunity for you to like find out how to do the thing that you're guaranteed to use at least once right there. <laughs> you actually remember how to do it because it's like in a specific video that you remember. Totally. Yeah, that makes, makes yeah. a lot of sense, yeah. Pointing back to that thing about like recording speeches before, what if you do miss out on a certain portion of video in that wedding video or whatever? What yeah. happens? <laughs> that's the that's the, uh, the the joy of live events. You don't have a second go. I've definitely missed things in the past. And I think that's something that I've kind of learned too. It's like, 
you know, experience tells you kind of like how to do the highest probability, right? So you got some intuition, you got some experience, you have your skill, and then you have some luck, right? And, you know, they, they say like luck favors the, the those who are prepared, right? So you kind of prepare yourself. Um, that's why when I go to a live event, I have multiple different audio recorders and adapters so that when I yeah. talk to the DJ, I'm like, oh, does he have a quarter inch? No problem. Does he have an XLR? I got that. RCA? No problem, right? Um and all that's just from experience too. Like I've gone to, and I'm like, hey, I've got an XLR. And they're like, oh, I have a, you know, quarter inch. You got one of those? I'm like, <laughs> right. Next time. Yeah. And and also I feel like it's um, setting expectations as well. Like when, when clients book us, when couples book us, they don't book us because we don't miss anything, right? Because in order for us to miss like nothing at all, we need a huge team, right? And, mm -hmm. and there is a trade-off too, you know, um, like, this is, I'm going to geek out a little bit here. Um, I have a friend who loves zoom lenses, right? Like he has one lens. His favorite lens is a 24 to one, 24 to 105 F4. He's like, I'll never miss anything. It, it'll cover everything. Right. I'm like, well, you're missing all like my favorite lens is a 25 F2. I'm like, your 24 to 105 won't miss anything on the focal range, but you'll miss everything wider than uh, F4. Right. And for me, it's like, well, I have that option, but I'll miss every like, like you're always making um, trade-offs, right? So mm -hmm. it's not about getting everything. It's about setting the right expectations. So we usually talk to our couples. We're like, you know what? We realize that this is a live event and we don't stop you. We don't get you to redo things. We don't, you know, in the middle of the ceremony, oh, hang on a second, right? We, that's one of our selling points. The selling point is that we, you know, we kind of blend in with the event. We don't take over the event. We're part of the event. And you know, it's like, will we miss some things? We might. Like, we've done enough of these that we try not to. Um, and the things that we miss, um, to date, knock on wood, like, no client has ever been like, hey, you've missed this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And if it does, you know, we'll have a chat about it. And I'll be upfront. I'll be like, you know, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll look through the clips and be like, I'm sorry I missed it, right? But it's about setting the expectations where it's like, you know, by having fewer people, having a more intimate setting where you're not feeling like you're swarmed with cameras, you know, you kind of have that balance. And and by communicating with your client ahead of time, you guys come to an agreement, or, or maybe it's like, no, I want to have you know three different angles all the time. It's okay, I'm okay with a bigger team. Then it's like, well, I can recommend someone, a friend of mine who works that way, and he has a bigger team. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Setting expectations, and then do some things you can miss, I guess, um, if they're not as important to yeah. um, whoever the client is. But yeah, experience and preparation. I think you got to remember also, I mean, any sort of client management type of person will tell you, really, you just got the client, you got to talk to the client. You need to unravel things about them so you know what is a priority before you get started, right? And I think Steve, that did that for us. Uh, but I think, like, I've been to a bunch of weddings before. All our friends are, like, Karina are kind of the last in our bunch to get married. So we saw all their videos. We saw you know what happened someone's mom got like two photos of herself and she got really mad at the photographer who they paid like five or six thousand dollars and there's like two pictures of a mom and the mom was a big part of the wedding and they they kind of overlooked that right so it's, it's little things like that i think with experience you'll definitely know but um you gotta have those conversations you gotta you know it's a people business just like everything else right like i wasn't banking before and i'll tell you right now i did an economics degree and you think that oh i'll just you know shower all these people with economic knowledge and forecast and they'll you know they'll sign up and do whatever but it was about the relationships about knowing about their kids about knowing about their family about knowing what they liked when they like to meet the communication style was on the phone was it via email was it in person was it off-site like those are the things that i think as a freelancer especially as a business you know you're your own business development and marketing team you're your own you know, client engagement team. So you have to be able to unravel those things. And if you do a good job doing that and you find out that they only like really want two things, everything else is gravy, then that's what you're going to get them. But if you don't know those two things, you might think they want great audio, but they want panoramic, you know, whatever. I'm the non-technical guy here, but like you, they want shots of like the background, but then you just focus your time on audio I know that's being a bit kind of extreme, but then you're going to get a product that no matter how great you think the shots were, but you'd miss the audio, then then doesn't the clients, they don't care. Yeah. Right. And, and I've definitely, you know, had to learn that 
through experience, right? They're definitely mm. in the past, uh, not in the recent past, luckily, and everything's been okay. But in the past, there has been clients where it's like, oh, did you get this? Or, you know, I was hoping for that. And I would have to, you know, basically be humble about the fact that I didn't get it and, you know, try to make it up to them the best I can. Yeah. What's your approach? Uh, go back to asking some questions here. What's your approach to someone who like doesn't know what they want? Like, what do you do in those situations? We often do some like feeling out of things. Like we'll look at a few different videos and be like, okay, did you like this one? And like, yes and no. And then try to figure out why it is, right? And just if we do enough of those, we can usually find a pattern. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. That's uh, usually where I go. And then, you know, it's it's often like, okay, let's let's take let's take a look at some examples. Let's look at other people's work. Let's look like what what speaks to you kind of thing. Yeah. Also trial and error, yeah. Yeah, but hopefully not on their actual yeah. day, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we did a pre-shoot. I think that was a really good um, hang and just kind of get the feel like almost like a practice run, right? Yeah. I, I often wonder if that's kind of a way to like a dress rehearsal, like right? Like it's a way to get uh, get a feel of the people and, uh, you know, before the actual. Yeah, I mean, if you have the time to prepare beforehand, it's great. Like if it's not a live stream event, like yeah you have all the time in the world basically assuming people that are actually participating have the time to sit there and like do whatever right well it depends on on the stakes right like if your live stream is a big stakes thing the, uh guaranteed they would have practiced and rehearsed it beforehand oh, yeah. on a you know practice event mm-hmm. um but yeah uh you're right paul actually one of the favorite things about these engagement shoots is to not only hang out with our couples who obviously choose us because they're the right people and we like we genuinely like like being with them but also just to like practice being on camera practice like to to see what it's like um shooting with us to 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 hear what directions sound like um to kind of get the vibe so that when it comes time for like the real thing you know you're not going into it for the first time yeah i I was i mean i'm glad we had that relationship a little bit before because like i don't think i was prepared to do my vows with you in the bathroom like an hour before it was go time <laughs> um i guess that's some feedback i was like okay i'm like i i don't think you told me i think hey paul i want to get this on before let's uh let's let's just uh, do this most important speech in your life in the bathroom before you tell your wife <laughs> you know what right? it was it was um it wasn't planned i was like you know what i i'm like fully confident in the audio system and all that but i'm like you know what we we're just hanging out before your wedding i'm like you know what if you practice this now you might be able to, you know, get through it during the ceremony, like just that much smoother. That, that is a moment that we'll share forever. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, yeah. And um, another question, which part of the process of creating a video do you like the best? Is it like the editing, the filming or storyboarding or another part? Oh, man. It's, it's hard to say. Um, I feel like it all ties in together. Like for me, at the beginning storyboarding is really exciting because i'm like imagining all the things that i'm going to shoot right Mm -hmm. and then the shooting is really exciting because i can imagine how the video is going to look in editing and then in editing it's super exciting because i'm imagining in like the wild where like people are sharing or screening or whatever so i don't know it's hard to say it depends on the project (laughs) okay it depends on the project yeah yeah it was like um yeah i was working with this sort of live stream team the team that did weddings and like um was it concerts like putting it on the main screen whatever and like I had to do just cam work for the entire time it was not the greatest not the greatest experience I guess for me it was just like holding the camera and panning like left to right and up and down whatever following whatever the person holding the switch was telling me to do um and I guess that's what makes me feel like I like editing more compared to just shooting but I just wanted to see if everyone else had a different opinion on that part. Yeah, I mean, that's not the camera operating jobs, but that's just the job itself, right? Like there's some jobs where you are like someone's extension of their hand or, yeah. you know, um, and same like in editing, sometimes there are jobs where I feel like I'm just someone's like, I'm just moving the mouse for them. Like they're telling me how to move the mouse, right? And there will be clients like that where they're really wanting to be involved and, you know, and that's just like your your love for doing this will carry you through those, uh, those <laughs> trials times. and tribulations yeah. Yeah. where you're like, Oh, you know what? I, I am literally just someone's tripod right now or, <laughs> you know, but 
yeah but there are you know they they have those like every job there are certain parts of it that are like less fun than others and but i wouldn't say that that alone makes me not want to shoot or that like that one gig where i was like a tripod makes me want to edit more right and just Mm -hmm. yeah just for that one particular instance you know shooting wasn't as fun fair yeah can can you tell some of your maybe maybe some of your more interesting gigs, I guess, or like a project that was really unexpected um, or weird. Like any kind of crazy stories in the last? Uh, uh, let's see. I mean, being on set for a reality show was like a big one for me. I've only done one. Um, I was the uh, second camera op. I think there was four cameras and like 13 different audio sources. And we had a producer and the team, it was like a decent team. And, you know, it was, it was very different because on a reality show, you kind of roll everything and you're never quite sure what's going to happen. And even though there's a producer there who kind of like, who finds these threads and massages these threads, you know, there's still like a lot of it that's unscripted, or actually most of it's unscripted. And so that was different. And having someone like run, you know, memory cards and batteries and stuff to me just to make sure my equipment's all going so I can focus on the literal one thing. Uh, so that was like different and something that I've never, I've only done once and uh, that was fun. Um, let's see another, I, I've been, I've been like to different, pl- I feel like videography is one of those things where it could take you a lot of different places. Like I've, I did a, a wedding with my partner in Thailand, which was like totally different. Uh, that was fun. And we took some days off to like, just explore the area. I've been up to Tuktiak Tuk, uh, way up north. Um, right to the Arctic Ocean and did the uh, ice road there, which is no longer plowed. So it's no longer a thing. I did it in the last year that it was still a thing. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I-, I also mentioned earlier that I did ice climbing for the first time and canyoning for the first time. Um, it was a mountain biking event that kind of got me into mountain biking. So shooting the event got me into mountain biking and now i want to do that more um yeah okay so we've got uh no that that's 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 really cool that you can take your job that way and um like it is almost mixing your hobbies every single time you go out there right like you're traveling you got your hobby right like you're you learn something now you're mountain biking you know because of your work and it's part of your hobby kind of like all kind of aligns to one um so we have a we have a final question here steve just want to wrap it up here and uh, we've asked every guest this so for our more mature guests we usually ask about their um, younger selves so um, you know you've given us a great insight into kind of kind of your career your life um, or parts of your life we didn't get too uh, too personal this time around Um, (laughs) we'll do a part two next time (laughs) but I guess uh, uh, what advice would you give your younger self and you know Henry's sort of you know, in that age group where you you might have decided to take a different path or um, turn your passion into career. So, uh, what is one thing you would tell, I guess, a younger version of yourself um, in terms of advice, in terms of either through life or or, or career or anything like that? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one because I I'm really happy. You know, I'll, given all like the twists and turns and the and the pitfalls and obstacles and stuff, I'm I'm like in a place where I'm really happy. You know, I've got a great partner. I've got a great um, uh, job, so to speak. You know, I'm doing what I love. I I have this flexibility where I could spend half the week and really focus on my kids when they're with me and then, you know, and, and still have the support to go to some of these places to, you know, shoot cool things in far, uh, far away places with uh, cool people, right? And so it's hard to say like, like, do this or don't do this because I kind of ended up in a place that was, you know, I'm really happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just knowing when to uh, when to be confident in your choices. I think maybe I would have gotten here soon. May, I'm, I'm like huge maybes, right? Like just, mm-hmm. you know, being more like true to what your gut feeling says. Like if you're if you're not into something, right? You gotta be honest with yourself and be like, okay, I'm not into it. Um, why am I not into it? Like, what is it about this thing that, you know, whether it's dealing with people who are maybe taking advantage of you, or if you're putting yourself in situations where you're not feeling comfortable, you know, um, but, you know, at the same time, balancing that with the fact that you kind of have to put yourself in a place where you're uncomfortable in order to 
uh, grow and learn and do something new. Because if you always stay in a place where you're comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, there's no incentive to do anything different and new. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. It's like, do things that are uncomfortable, but be, you know, be, be true to yourself and don't go overboard. I don't know. No, no I think that I... speaks to me. Yeah. At the same time, if you're doing something that you don't like right now, analyze why that is and maybe pursue different options if that's really not what you're comfortable with. Um, and then on the other hand, don't just sit there and like, but have to branch off and try to do other stuff, other kinds of videos and like just experiment to see what hobbies you actually are into. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's sometimes hard to admit things you don't like to do or don't want to do. You feel like it's society. You feel like maybe it's your parents, right? Um, your significant other. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's lots of time, you know, especially now with COVID, everyone kind of reflecting on their lives um, to think about these things. And it's, it's, it's going to take experience. It's going to take trial and error to know what you like, know what you don't like, right? Um, you know, if you don't like spicy food, there's no point of just keep eating it until, you know, you get sick. You know, if you get sick once or twice, you know, you know, don't do it. So, uh, no, great advice. Any, any other follow-up, Henry, before we fully wrap? Don't pursue eating spicy food or you get an <laughs> ulcer. Like, <laughs> there's just common sense. How do I you, Steve? I love spicy food. I like spicy food. Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy the rush. Yeah, spoken like a true freelancer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's conversation. Okay, yeah. Uh, so thank you, Steve, for being on uh, our season finale. I think we might have one more wrap up at uh, season uh, finale for the show. Oh, thanks. It was fun. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Really good to catch up with you, and um, and hope to see some more videos from you. Maybe we'll do some partnerships. Um, if you got any advice on YouTube ads, uh, have you done any of those at all? The kind of short. Yeah, yeah. Oops. Let's chat. Okay, let's yeah. take that yeah, like, offline. Thank you so much for all the knowledge you've imparted and all the tips on life, like just general and insight on what being a videographer and getting to that point would look like. Um, it's been really helpful. Yeah, to be honest though, Henry, when when Paul asked him, like, I don't know, man, I'm still en route, you know? Like, I'm not I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, still I, very humble. <laughs> I, I just feel like, you know, I've gone far enough that I can help someone who's like a couple steps behind. Uh, I don't think it's just a couple steps. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, that's, that is very helpful. Um, thanks for taking your time to join this podcast. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Paul, for helping me host the podcast today. And thank you, Steve, for joining us today on the podcast. Um, it's been very insightful and very helpful for a future videographer such as me. Thank you everyone for listening as well. And we'll see you next time.